Coming up, the Nineworks Radio goes on tour experiment. We visit the RPOC Groupie 37 in Hertfordshire to talk Porsche. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. Nineworks Radio is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Nineworks Radio is presented by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks with special input from friends and experts around the industry, as well as you, our valued listeners. Enjoy the episode. Excellent. Well, hello, Andy. Hello, Max. Hello, James. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello to everybody in the building from the RPOC. Yay! Brilliant. We're on, we're on the road, Andy. Yeah. Excellent. Crazy. It what is. hell are we doing? <laughs> hello if you're listening at home as well. So, yes, it's the second episode of whatever the latest series is we lost count six six we'll go with that and uh yes we've kindly been invited uh up to redbourne by james and curran the uh proprietors is that is that the right word i don't know if we'd say that i think probably uh the the, the starters of that shall we say founding fathers yeah the founding fathers (laughs) (laughs) yeah the founding fathers yeah 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 okay so the rest of us we are not worthy so look it we are first of all we're so chuffed that you guys have invited us up for uh a midweek sojourn up to wherever we are, one o'clock on the M25, midnight on the M25 somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, know, where I don't really know where we are. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. One o'clock. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're outside yeah. Dorset. So we're a long way from home. But no, <laughs> yeah. look, generally, it's, it's absolutely awesome to, to be up here, and it's it's great to see so many people here. Loads of awesome cars in the car park as well. They're definitely not fair weather owners here as part of your lovely group so james would you mind starting off by just kind of explaining what the club is what the group is how it started yeah sure well obviously uh, the first thing we should say is, is is welcome and thanks for coming you know i think everyone in the group uh, really wanted to be here tonight clearly as you can see but the listeners can't in a space like this that was impossible uh, so we had to be uh, fairly fairly selective and uh, the, the ticket numbers were uh, were scarce but it's ticketed it is ticketed it was uh it, it was it was it was free but uh <laughs> courtesy of our uh our friends at jazz porsche uh all of the food was laid on tonight for everyone that was Absolutely lucky fantastic. enough to Round come of applause here. for steve there thank you very much sir. Thank you very much so if i if i begin at how this all uh sort of started um it, it, it's it's a covid induced club i should say really (laughs) (laughs) which sounds terrible but that's that's the fact of the matter um obviously a lot of people were stuck at home not able to get out and about or go anywhere and in this village a few of us found ourselves walking out and about either because we bought covid pets or just you know as a the course of your everyday life that's one of the only things you were able to do and we realised that although this is a on the face of it, from what you've seen driving in, a small and picturesque village in southwest Hertfordshire, there's actually quite a big population in Redbourne. And within that population, there's there's quite a number of Porsche owners. So walking out and about, you see all these cars around the village. So myself and another guy who's not here tonight, Adam, uh, sort of said, you know, well, what, what happens? Where do all these people go when lockdown's over? So I, ca- I came up with this question and said, you know, well, what if we could get them together to meet 
regularly and then to drive and then perhaps to socialize in different ways. And the strangest part about it was, was one of the first doors I knocked on um, was, uh, well, nobody answered for a start. <laughs> but I, what I, was I, I, out I, front? Uh, out the front was a, uh, a 991 uh, Carrera 4S and a 928S. And uh, I left uh, a note through the door. Um, I tried to make it look slightly, uh, well, as formal as possible, so it didn't look like criminal activity. <laughs> so, so I did put a letter together saying, I'm thinking of founding this club, would you be interested? So I put a letter through, um, and about two hours later, this guy calls me. I thought, well, I know the voice, but I don't know where from. And he said, oh, it's Karen. And I said, Karen, he said, no, it's Karen Malik from, uh, from Redbourne Eye Care. And I've known Karen for years, not least because he looks after the eyes of um, all my family. But we've got some other interests in common as well. So I was like, well, how didn't we know we both had a love of Porsche? So it sort of snowballed from there, really. And we, we knocked on more doors. I'm looking at Jeremy and Nick because they were another couple of the first two. And before you know it, people are sort of saying, well, well yeah, you know, we'd love to get out and about in the cars. And once that lockdown really uh, was lifted, we said, well, let's meet in the, the pub, the cricketers, and, and think about what we're going to do. And I think about, it was only about seven or eight guys came down. And in fact, Steve Winter was, was one of those as well. And um, we said, well, we should, we should really make a plan to just get out in the cars and drive. Yeah. And it kind of snowballed from there. So as always is the case with these things, you kind of say, Okay, well, let's just let's just have no boundaries on this at the beginning and try and get together and you know see what happens. But that that's not exactly easy, is it? You know, you have yeah. to sort of end up setting a framework. So yeah, that that was the beginning, I guess. So the idea is a local sort of group of guys that have all got the same sort of interest. Get them get them together now and again. Um, in a sort of informal basis, I guess. Yeah, it was, Andy. I mean we um we, we quickly realized that obviously we all knew people in the surrounding villages and towns as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of reached out to, to Rich, who's uh, his daughter and my daughter in the same class at school and said, would you be interested? He then sort of starts thinking of people in his town, which is literally the next place down yeah. and so on and so on. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at faces around the room and most of these guys, you know, live within five miles from here because of course they're all in the surrounding postcodes. So before you know it, we went from having eight guys in a it sat in the marquee uh, in the pub to having kind of 30, 35 members coming together on a midweek night in the, uh, in the summer to bring their cars onto the common. We thought, well, this is great. Let's keep going. So Karen then builds a website. We start an Instagram page and we get to November and we've got a hundred guys. <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, we might need a pause now. <laughs> So we did. We uh, we decided to stop taking members at that point. You know, it's uh, and that, that's kind of how it's come about, really. But it's been amazing. We've had some great meets. We've been out on some really good drives. We've done a few other cool things. You know, we went karting, which was great fun. Um, we've been over to places like Caffeine and Machine. We've done the runs over to Bista Scramble together. Yeah. Uh, and the the com the common theme between everyone is just that love of of getting behind the wheel of the cars and driving. Yeah, uh, I, I don't see that changing. You know, it's uh, 
we might all have different cars. We might all come from slightly different backgrounds and certainly have different uh, views on what cars should look like and perform like, but just getting together and and enjoying them seems to be the common theme with this bunch, really. It's a great common denominator and just having like a quick tot up around the room just for, for people listening at home. So I reckon we've got about 20... Uh, 20 folks here that on a cold midweek evening have uh, have braved the bad weather and, and the darkness to bring the cars out. So, I mean, it's not like a normal cars and coffee where we're all chatting in the car park because A, it's too cold and B, we can't see anything. But again, I think it just kind of shows like the commitment <laughs> and camaraderie of the group. silhouettes in the car park. Which, yeah, that was yeah, but like from, from the outside, that's great. And in similar zest, you know, your, uh, well, we call it the fruit stick group, which is like yeah, so know, maybe it, a Dorset equivalent. A very similar sort of idea is, you know, just a group of guys that you can, you know, we've got a WhatsApp group. You send out a message on a on a Thursday evening. I'm going down the want to go out for a little drive, meet you here and go down the pub. And it just it's a great little way to get out and drive, isn't it? And it is and see people that have got the same sort of interest. I think there's a bit of a groundswell across the country with these smaller clubs and gatherings happening. Yeah. And it's not actually that new, but you know, because there's a couple of guys that have been doing this sort of thing for 15, 20 years. Like there's the firm London, you know, they all come together on a on a regular social basis and drive and meet. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of other newer ones that I think probably COVID has stimulated, actually, because, yeah. you know, ultimately there's all manner of bigger formal clubs out there. And many of us are members of those and Absolutely. support those and yeah. are involved with those. But I think having something local and social and, and as you say, kind of perhaps a little bit more spontaneous and yeah. accessible. Gorilla clubs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. But, but things that you can kind of activate very quickly. We tend to do most of our comms over WhatsApp. Yeah. I think for some of the guys, it drives them absolutely nuts. <laughs> but for others, you they, can mute it though, yeah, you yeah. can. But for others, they like that ability to be able to see something in real time and say, yes, I'm coming or no, I can't make that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Lots, lots of times you, you don't know what, you, what your availability is going to be on the day. So, um, you know, that gives you that sort of flexibility to, to join into something. If somebody fancies doing something one night, rather than it being a particular club night each month that you've got to, that everybody aims for. Mm-hmm. James, you and I were talking away from the mics uh, before or the start of this evening that, yeah, like kind of post-COVID, there's been this like spring blossom, if you like, of different clubs. Porsche-centric, of course. I think that's great. I don't think you can have kind of too many. And it's it's great that people can enjoy the freedom to be part of kind of many different cliques and groups and whatnot. I've always said, as cliche as it is, that Porsche's inclusive, not exclusive. And and it's great. And I genuinely, I don't believe that you can have too many of these sorts of like clubs, groups and initiatives and whatnot thrown into the melting pot. It's clearly to the benefit of all. Yeah. And I think people choose to dip in and out of, of a few, you know, they're not yeah. necessarily saying, right, this is all I'm doing. They like that flexibility and diversity to say, right, well, this, this week I'm going to go and join these guys and do this. Uh, and, and, you know, next month, maybe I'll try with this group. I think that's a good thing, you know, and, and we've not put any restrictions or requirements on people or said you have to do this. It's really a case of, you know, we'll offer as many uh, platforms as we can. And I think I was, to- I was talking to Andy uh, just before we, uh, we started recording. You know, we're pretty mindful of the fact that we are in a lucky position here. You know, we're sat in a, a really nice village pub at the moment, which in, in, the, in the case of this village is the hub of the community. But directly across the road, as you saw when you came in, 
uh, in the summer season, the, the grass parking there gives us the ability to line up our cars opposite the pub. They serve great food here. You can take a pint of Coke over the road, have a walk around the cars, and it's light till 10 o'clock, so it's great. In the winter, A, oh, there's no daylight. for those days. We'd be able to see what's in the car park. Yeah. <laughs> well, A, there's no daylight, but B, they lock the car park here, so you can't. Yeah. it's not even possible. So we said, well, let's make it about something other than necessarily the cars in the winter. So we've had a film night here in this room, which was great. Uh, obviously, we've been lucky enough to put tonight together with you guys, which again, for the members, I think is is really good and offers something that, you know, maybe other car clubs can't do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's about trying to be a little different, really. Yeah. And I think it's also about being inclusive as well, as you said. And that's one of the things that I like about it, because there are lots of groups and lots of clubs and or not clubs, if you like. Uh, but some of them are quite um, particular about their interests and that sort of thing, which is a nice thing as well. You know, people getting together for a niche within a niche. But, uh, you know, when I first saw you guys, which was literally passing on the road, um, you know, the thing that struck me was what an eclectic mix of cars it was. You know, there's a 356. I think you're in your 992 um uh, 997.2 rs there may be six of you and i thought bloody hell what a, what a, what a what's going on here yeah, why exactly. haven't i, I been invited <laughs> and um i was on my way to rpm actually to an event that i've i've been invited to by uh, make specs great again the instagram people and had i not been going to that i'd have turned around in in mentmore where i saw you and chased you up the road uh, to see see what was going on but as as it was, you know, through the power of social media, I was already following you on Instagram, and you posted a picture later later on of that group of cars. So I made the connection and and sent you a DM, and that's how we got chatting. So I'm actually a bit of an interloper because I'm over in well near Bicester, actually. Oh, um, you allowed so, it? Yeah. Well, you know, it was mm, <laughs> yeah. it was a bit behind, shaky behind for a while. Yeah. I may yet be I may yet be evicted, ejected, yeah. ejected. Um, but um, but the thing that I really like about it is that it is so, so inclusive. There's so many different, you know, variation. Well, every different variation of Porsche, and it doesn't then it, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Max. You know, obviously, yeah, the story of how we uh, we met is exactly as you said and quite funny. But that that diversity of cars and people was probably best represented uh, at our summer barbecue here, uh, which you came along to as well. And, yeah. yeah, took some nice photos of, but. It does if take you, a good photo. He certainly it? does. Yeah. But as you remember, we had uh, every, well, we didn't have every model, but we certainly had every decade represented from the 1950s. We had a 1958 356 up to 2021 cars, uh, you know, 992s, Taycans uh, here on the common. I think we had almost 40 cars here that day. But the point was it, there, there was absolutely everything on show. Um, and, and I think that's been the goal from the beginning is to say, you know, we don't want a specific era. We don't want a specific model range. You know, there's guys in the club that have joined with a, a, a 986. You know, there's, there's, guy, there's a guy in the club with uh, a lovely collection that even includes a Carrera GT. So, you know, we've got members with everything and, and I really hope it stays that way because that's, that's important as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, the spirit of Bootsy, I would say, you know, Porsche club of America was the first like Porsche club globally. And as I say, there's been so many kind of like little pockets and, and niches of, of different like, audiences that have popped up everywhere. And it's great. And, and I hope for people listening at home, your endeavor hopefully should suitably inspire 
to to get something going and also yeah if, if your local group at home you've not been to one a meeting for a little bit maybe at the turn of the new year you might think oh i might just give that a go again so is it, they're a good bunch we're a good bunch so get involved yeah i think there's there's nothing to stop anyone starting this type of thing uh wherever they are across the country um and i think since since we have we've obviously learned of others out there as well that are doing it i think even just a couple of weeks ago I was on an away day with Steve and he said to me, oh, I've actually had an email from another group about starting up. And I think that's a great thing, you know, that people are inspired to do it and are, uh, uh, and there, there are more and more of these popping up. You've seen things like on the, on the South coast, Andy Gregory's Stuttgart South, that's gaining momentum all the time. You know, there's, uh, there's all, all manner of clubs up there, out there popping up. And yeah, that's, I, I think good luck to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing. I think it's great that people are inspired to do it and want to do it because I'm a reluctant organiser of an event that I <laughs> took over because it <laughs> lapsed when the guy who was running it previously went off and did something else and it's local to me and it was really good and I'd met some really good people there so um, I kind of took it on because I didn't want it to stop but it's a bloody pain in the ass. so people who are inspired to do it like you guys you know I, you know you take it on and it's a lot of work and I appreciate it because I'm sort of thinking oh, am i even going to get my thing going again certainly not on a monthly basis because it's it is quite hard work and it's not really my thing i like to go along and uh, just sort of be involved and be social but organizing takes a lot of work so you, you guys deserve a, you know a lot of credit for taking it on and wanting to do it and doing it well uh, thanks i mean it's it it, it becomes quite full-on quite quickly and i think that was part of the decision for Karen and I uh, to, to sort of turn the taps off for a while and, and focus on the people that had supported it from the beginning and say, okay, what are we going to make this club in the, in the medium term now? Because we've started something really special. People are enjoying it. And we, uh, you know, we need to think about what we do next rather than just keep going. Because you know, it, 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 or if it had kept organically growing the way it was, it, it probably would have, uh, taken on a, a direction of its own and then and I think as as Andy said when we were chatting you know then you start sort of seeing you know splinters and factions come along and it's like it's not what you ever intended so yeah I think it was the right time to pause and just you know take a take a breath on it really we've got some great ideas for this year so it's it's, it's a case of learning to walk before we run really yeah I think that's really sensible uh, it's a really sensible approach because as you say by being so inclusive um if it does get too big, then there are, you know, there is the chance that factions and splinters and occur, and that's not really what it feels like at this club. So it's good to just try and keep a, you know, keep keep some sensible reins on it for a little while. Yeah, I think at the moment, well, at least just while we figure it out, and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then uh, and then see where it takes us, really. Cracking. All right, happy days. Well, look, James, as we say, we're really grateful to to you, Curran, and all the members for turning up and letting us come along today and bring Nine Much Radio on the road. So thank you kindly. Um, have we got time before a bit of food to get Steve from Jazz on for a chat? I think so, yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Effort. if you wouldn't mind stepping up to the Oki, sir. Well done, James. Yeah. yeah. Top. Excellent. Steve Winter from Jazz Porsche. Pleasure to have you on Nineworks Radio. As we said earlier on, thanks for supporting the podcast today as well with the food as well. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. And it's nice to give, uh, you know, we sponsored a couple of these events because I do enjoy the club and being amongst fellow Porsche owners, but also quite a few of these people present are customers. And it's just nice to give a little bit back occasionally. 
you know, like the summer barbecue, for instance, was fantastic. Really good, really good family atmosphere, bouncy castle, nice weather. And it couldn't have been more quintessentially English, in my opinion, just sitting <laughs> there drinking beer, watching them play cricket. Was it raining as well? Or? No, well, apart from that, no, we were blessed with the weather. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be involved. And I was excited when I met James, really, he just popped in to the workshop with one of his cars one day and we got chatting. So I've sort of actively promoted the club, I have to say, of inviting my friends who were customers and, you know, it's had a little contribution towards the growth of it, but it's been fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Yeah, mm. and clearly your passion goes far beyond the nine to five in that case. So, Yeah, I mean, I um, believe it or not, the we just recently moved house. So I dug out, I found an old diary. I think I mentioned to this when we first met. And on the 19th of May, 1982, was my first day at my first Porsche garage. <laughs> So this year is my 40th anniversary my as a Porsche mechanic. Fantastic. So it's a long time. So, yeah. yeah, you. I think there's no doubt in my passion because I wouldn't have been done it for so long. Is, isn't that fantastic that as yeah. long as the 911 SC has been rolling on planet Earth, you've been in the yeah. industry. So there's a lot of knowledge rank, uh, racked up yeah, there, Yeah, I remember sure. the day my first boss was, um, he took delivery in 1983 of a 911 SC in black. Yeah. 91R was the number plate and... He um, took the car to Ireland um, on a business trip and he got it broken into in Dublin. And I was sent on a train with a quarter glass and all the tools to, to Dublin to fix this thing. I met him at Hollyhead and fixed the glass in the in the car park. And this is, bear in mind, this is my first ever proper ride in an I-11. And we're coming back through North Wales. And he goes, look, this is really good. Look how this car handles. Next minute, we're in the dip. <laughs> And he gets out and the like the front suspension legs all bent in and we start driving and there's smoke coming off the tire and I just went um and I'd read some books about how to drive old nine levers and I said, You lifted, didn't you? <laughs> he goes, Don't you tell anybody or else you won't have a job. <laughs> so we managed to limp it off to um to somewhere and we got we we got a train home. So I had a very short lived um um first trip to break my nylon virginity. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> didn't put you off though, did it? <laughs> it? Didn't put me off. No. <laughs> Where was that first job, Steve Wise, years ago? It was a company called Muse Carriage Company, spelt in the same way as the band. And it was uh, um, it was Jerry Murphy, which is the MU, and SE was Peter Sell. Now, Peter Sell was the original partner of Charles Ivey. Ah, okay. And they had, it was in quite a famous Muse, you know, I didn't know at the time, but... Lancaster Muse at the back of the old FA building in Bayswater. So the whole Muse was full of garages and spray shops yeah. and stuff. You had Rampony Roquel, who's a famous Alfa Romeo um, engineer. Um, there was a guy that did Alvis. There was us doing Porsche. Ferrari man, you know, it was a real hub of motor trade people. Crazy, isn't it? When you look back, you probably just thought you were like a load of our guys. Yeah, knocking out yeah. shit old cars and such history. Sprinzels was the most famous one, yet people might know from British Leyland Rally yeah. Driver. And it was still cobbled as well, so there was like a ramp down and if you were, like the clever blokes would come in if the cobbles were a bit wet and you'd look out and the cars would be sliding. <laughs> and, and they were Muse garages, so you always had a bad back because the cars never went up high enough. You were yeah. squatting underneath. And they, um, yeah, so then... Uh, Charles Ivey wanted to move out to Hurlingham Road where he's not long moved from and Peter 
like to drink at lunchtime, shall we say, at the very least. <laughs> and there's the famous Mitre pub on the corner. So he'd go off for two hours for his lunch and come staggering back with the gitans on his, in his fingers. <laughs> and um, he'd sleep most of the afternoon. And I'd, I'd, I was like 17 years old. And the mechanics weren't interested in all the day-to-day running of, of this garage. They said, oh, Steve, answer the phone. Steve, go and get the parts. And I ended up, by the two years later, I was basically running the place. <laughs> But, you know, without realising, earning 37 quid a week. And then you get a fiver <laughs> if you wash this car. <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah, so Peter never went with um, um, Charles Ivy, And then this guy Murphy came in and bought his share. And it was one of the really early Porsche independents, um, other than Charles Ivy, yeah, KK Engineering. And that was really about it. And then... Um, Two guys came to work for him. Um, one of the early guys was Russell Lewis, who was RSR Engineering, famous engine builder who's now retired. And they got um, Mike Pickup and Graham Lease came in, which is an old Porsche name. Graham came from um, Reading and Pickup came from one of – he came from AFN, actually, from Isleworth. So they set up and um, – I was doing all this day-to-day running. I learned to ride a motorbike and I was, I'd was i go out with satchels fetching 930 turbo oh, clutches and getting knocked <laughs> off by taxis and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I could tell you a hundred stories. But um, I saw what they were, because I used to go to the bank and put their, their paychecks in and you'd, you'd have a little look, you know. And I'm thinking, God, I'm earning 30 odd quid a week and they're earning like 500 quid a week. So I said to the boss, I want to I, I be a mechanic, not just a gopher. And I want to go to college and everything, you know. And I'd actually come from a merchant navy school with an engineering background. So I knew tools and how to take things yeah. apart. And they said, um, yeah, you can go to college. And I said, well, can I do date release? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, but I'll pay the fee. So I ended up doing five years, three evenings a week at Paddington Tech. And oh. I, I did it all the way through, right through to the end. So I got a B-Tech diploma and all that stuff. Yeah, And... Um, um, pick up and lease left by that time, set up pick up lease in Lamboli Place, which in Hampstead was it just skyrocketed. You know, again, it was another Muse place, but a bit bigger. And after about a year of them running that, they invited me over, and then I worked for him for 10, 12 years. Wow. Until it, in the crash of 89, 90, it all, it all went Pete Tong. Pete mm. Tong. Mm. Wonderful. Because they, they overstretched themselves and for, for lots of different reasons, but. Um, and then 91, Jonas Zambakidis and I set jazz up. Awesome. I, I, mm. I love how it's like a clearly a family run business with yourself and Claire these days. You, yeah. You've got some amazing projects and I was very fortunate to have a look around the place last week. Yeah. Genuinely amazed by it. And I, I was fascinated by the Polo engine. I, I think it's worth touching on that for a couple of oh, minutes. Oh yeah. That's so, um, the Polo engine is, um, designed by a guy called Dean, Popolopodopoulos or whatever, it's, 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 it's a long Greek name. But it's known as the Polo engine. So what it is, is a four-cylinder air-cooled 911 engine rather than the six-cylinder. So what they've done is basically built a custom crankshaft, so everything's shorter, and it's got similar dimensions to a 356. So it means that it fits in the back of a 356, but you get two and a half litres. Basically, it's two-thirds of a 993 engine. Yeah. And it fits in, it's lighter than the 993. You get a huge amount of torque, like 160, 165 foot pound of torque, 220 odd, 230 horsepower. Um, Which is mad because in a 964, flat six is 250. 
ish yeah, anyway. So, yeah, yeah, you know. that's right. Yeah. Plus, in if you stick it in a three five six, you've got a car that weighs seven hundred kilos. Yeah, yeah. The big issue, of course, is the VW steering box and the brake drums that are like digestive biscuits. But <laughs> <laughs> a bit overpowered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean the 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 one that's in the black car. Um, it it completely the engine outperforms the chassis, yeah. and that's got a five speed gearbox conversion that we did as well. Yeah. And it is scary. You go into a roundabout much quicker than you think you are going because you yeah. don't really look at the speedo. And then all the other shortcomings have become apparent. But the one we do at the moment is going into a 912. Oh. Okay, so, so that's a bit more sensible. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And that's for a guy who's a um, – he's a chassis dynamics engineer for um, Saks TRW. So he, he designs – drive shafts and steering arms and that stuff. So he's got it in his head. Yeah, yeah, he's got the- it's completely crazy. It's a 50,000 quid engine wow. in a 60,000 pound 912, but he just wants to do it. Yeah. Brilliant. Because he can. You know, because he can, yeah. 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 Well, I was pretty fascinated. We said, well, this isn't the first one we've done. So, the, you know. The, I, I- yeah, this is, this is the third one. Um, there's two more in the pipeline. Brilliant. Awesome. The problem is Dean in America is getting on a bit. Um, he's got a court case going on with somebody else, um, which is taking up a lot of his time. Someone else has like sort of copied his concept. And so getting the parts out of him is a nightmare. You know, it's, that's the only downside, but I mean, the, the, the the product and what he sells is really good. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe down the line we'll, we'll touch base on it and see how you're getting on. It's a, it's a fascinating concept. Yeah. I mean, maybe, um, I mean, the owner would no doubt love to have you, go and road test it and drive it you know Fantastic. for sure yeah well it's on the mic now you said it i'd like to ask you one question there's i know there's food coming in and you can't leave food with 20 blokes in the room they yeah. keep eyeballing it so we're um we, we like to ask everybody else in the room as well like to, to can maybe consider this while we're eating and, and touch on it second half but steve what do you think is uh the sweet spot generationally and i mean in terms of decade not just for porsche but for cars generally What's the best decade of motoring, in your opinion? Early 70s is, is easy. Yeah, and yeah. why? Uh, pre-impact bumper 911. I prefer 2.2s to 2.4s. That's my only personal thing. We spoke about this. Because I love well. the dog leg box. Yeah. You had, like, the best of the Alphas. You had the Ferrari Dino. Um, it's all pre-Californian le- legislation, even though they were pushing it. You didn't have air injection pumps on MGBs. You didn't have rubber bumpers. So it was, it was like the big old crisis that we all know about. Well, you wouldn't because you're too young. Is these? Um, Thank you, bless you, <laughs> darling. <laughs> <laughs> is you know the old crisis in with uh, with in '74. You know the quality of cars dropped. Everything rusted. You know because they were buying cheap steel because yeah. the world was in a terrible place. Yeah, yeah. So up to like '73. Is, is where it all happened. You know, 50s and 60s cars are a bit agricultural. They weren't designed for motorway use, unless you had a 356, of course, because they already had auto barns. But, um, you know, the other big change, I think, was when they went from independent chassis to monocoque and they started to design body shells correctly. So like the 911 with its lovely thin A-pillars, even BMW 1800Ts, all that stuff. So it, I think it sort of ended in 73, in my opinion, and then cars got, cleaner and safer and boring bigger and more bulky yeah. that's fantastic though and, you know all yeah. that right off the bat as well didn't even need to think about it so no. I, I think there's plenty in this for uh, a podcast dedicated to your endeavors to be honest so uh, we'll touch yeah, base on pleasure. that 
Steve at Jazz, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We'll, we'll wrap up for a little bit and, and have some food. Yeah. And I've got, we'll I've got some more on. questions for Steve after food. So Excellent. Yeah. Okay, we'll call that half time. All right. Happy days. Bit. Thank you. Browse our listings of quality used Porsche for sale from Nineworks approved dealers at nineworks.co.uk backslash classifieds. Right then, part two. Part two. So we've, we've fed. We're, yeah, we're the other side of some fantastic pizza and chips. And uh, there was a little bit of rabbit food on there I saw as well, some greenery. So there's still plenty of that left. Yeah, thank you, yeah, Steve, the chips again were for that. especially um, lovely. Yeah, <laughs> they were really good, weren't they? Yeah. I feel like we're all overindulged. But yeah, yeah look, we just want to dive uh, back into a couple of more questions, if that's yeah, okay. Far away. A little bit of cross examination. Andy, yeah. you've got an owner question. Yeah, I've got a personal in. question. I wondered if you remembered my car from 2001. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the time? <laughs> <laughs> so my car was a, a German car and it came into the UK, I think it was around 2000. You serviced it in 2001. Uh, red 993, left-hand drive, no sunroof. Just wondered if you remembered anything about it. Grey interior? No, black. Oh, it's not the one I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably a good thing by the sounds of it. Yeah, so, like, yeah I remember um, it. I, I got in contact with you guys uh, when I first bought the car, and Claire mm. very kindly dug out a receipt for me right. for a service, Okay, which I thought was amazing that, you know, Claire could go back 20, well, it would have well, been 20 years. Of, uh, computers and modern technology. Isn't but, it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we did it the other day. A guy's bought a car that we've been looking after for, like, 12 years. Yeah. And... Um, after the okay from the owner because of GD, what's it? Yeah, you yeah. Know. So we printed out, not invoices, but like a vehicle history. Wow. And it was like 10, 12 pages fat yeah. of every single thing that we'd done since whenever it was, 1998 or something. It was Amazing. That long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, proper, yeah. proper good. But maybe email me with the reg number again. Yes. Do you, do you still own the car? Then? I do, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the VIN number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and the key number and where you live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your honour. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Now Andy's got his 993 fill. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be nice to talk about your racing because you've, you've been involved with a yeah. lot of it. Yeah, long time. So I... Um, when we went to, sorry, when I started working for Pickup Leask, the Porsche Club started their first um, race series in 84. And um, Mike and Graham, Pickup and Leask, said, shall we do something? I said, you know, would you like to be involved? And I'm like, yeah, you know, young kid. Never been to a motor race in my life. Um, so they bought a 924 and they painted it in like the stripes from toothpaste or like a barber's scroll like red and white all over it really funky and uh, we went out did a couple of days testing and then he least stuck it in the barrier at woodcut the old woodcut silverstone which is railway sleepers and catch fencing and this thing was hit so hard that even the the transmission tunnel in the middle bent had a kink in it and then um as mike particularly was really motivated by motor racing he was a karting champion and stuff and within about five days we reshelled this car into another 924 and got it out for the first race so that was my introduction to motorsport and every year since then i've either run cars or raced so that's a long time that's like 40 odd years wow so we did all the porsche club stuff we did three seasons of carrera cup we did british gt uh i've mechanicked on cars at le mans with pickup um what else 
then we went into historic. So we did brick car. We did the brick car 24 hours, three years on the trot. One time we led for 12 hours and three hours from the end of fuel bag, the fuel bladder ruptured. So that was that. <laughs> and the sort of the emotional roller coaster that you go through in particularly in long endurance races is quite challenging. But I really liked it because what I felt that it wasn't all about the driver. You know, when you do big long races, everybody's involved whether you're making the sandwiches for the crew. It was a real team event, and it still is, you know, at the morning and stuff. Uh, You know, a sprint race, you go out 20 minutes, and then, you know, if something goes wrong, it's all over. Yeah. And then when we gave up um, doing Brick Car, that was with Henry from Nylon Virgin. So it was a Nylon Virgin seal grey with Nylon Virgin all over it, of course. And, he, you know, we ran with a good budget. You know, there was no, no scrimping on the money. That's a 996, um, wasn't it? Yeah, 996. Yeah. yeah, it was an old, um, like, version one cup car. But we really developed it. You know, I got data from Mike Pickup about chassis strengthening because he did a platform test at Ricardo. So it was like a sort of RSRE style car, but within the rules of brick car, with 400 horsepower engine, we ended up eventually with a sequential box that I made. Um, I assume a different oil system. It wasn't just a, a wet sump and off you go. No, well, it was a GT3, so mm. so it had the dry sump. You know, it had the Metzger engine um, with different radiators, heated screen, big lights. You know, we did a lot of night racing and all that, and it was a real challenge. But then I sort of realised it, it was sort of taking over the business. You know, because we weren't making very much money because <laughs> you're sort of running one car or two cars yeah. for not much back. Um, when Henry said, I want to give up racing, I wasn't too disappointed. So we went into historics and uh, three of us, Robbie Bernberg, uh, who's been a friend for 30 years, Mark Campbell, who's also been a friend. He's, um, the three of us went to Le Mans Classic, the very first one, which was 2004. I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong. And there's this little green 911 going around with big sponsorship run by Porsche Centre Leon. And it came up for sale. So we um, drove all the way in this knackered old Range Rover with a trailer to Leon and bought the car <laughs> for like 12 grand. This 65, 300 series, short wheelbase 911. It's known <laughs> as affectionately as the bogey. <laughs> the colour of it. It's not quite viper green, but it's like this pale, horrible green. And we just kept it like it, like it is. Then we started doing spa six hours, like two years later. Um, you know, we just kept sort of, there's only myself and Robert Barry that are into two litres in those days. Um, so we, I mean, spa, we've done 16 times or something, spa yeah. six hours. We still haven't won it yet, but we keep trying. <laughs> we've been very close. We've had podiums. Um, I think four or five years on the trot, we finished top nine eleven against Historica and, you know, other people. So that's quite a, a, an achievement in its own right, but. And now we're running a 964 RS Club Sport in the new Porsche 911 Challenge. Uh, we're just building a 914.6 GT that's going to run with a quick GTS. Um, be good to see. So there's always stuff going on, but my little 911 I run um, in a quick GTS. It's the only non-British car in the whole grid, so you stand out like a lemon. Yeah. Everybody wants to beat the 911. Um, <laughs> So it's fiercely competitive. Um, as James might have mentioned, with a Queep, we've, for this club, we've managed to secure a parade lap slot at the meeting at Snetterton on Easter Monday. So we've got 
our own dedicated parking. Um, Jazz are going to sponsor a bit of food and they've got a half hour slot of however many people hopefully can come on board. Awesome. So they've, they've, they can see how good it is. Um, sorry, not how good, how good this club is. And I'm a sponsor of the series and a technical partner. So they said, Steve, why don't you get all your Porsche friends to come up and park up and we've got a little slot for you. Awesome. So it's a real privilege to Brilliant. be asked. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, they're running their own race meetings for the first time this year. Prior to that, they always bought slots with motor racing legends or masters. Um, so they're in control of what goes on in the day. So they said, Steve, get some Porsches up, you know? Yeah. And everybody's getting free tickets and all the rest of it. So it'd be, <laughs> be, be, be a good event. Looking yeah, after yeah. the guys and girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested to just touch uh, on the Le Mans side of things. So yeah. I, I assume privateer. Yeah. So we know like the, the driver routine for 24 hours is, you know, eat, sleep, drive, repeat. Yeah, you know, yeah. what, what's it like from like the other side of the wall? Is it just 24 hours of like pure adrenaline well, and no first, sleep? Um, yeah, the first 24 hour race I crewed on was the, the old wheel hire. Which pickup had a E30 BMW M3, sponsored by Pirelli. So we had Peter Tyson, who was the marketing dude for Pirelli at the time, who passed away a couple of years ago, sadly. His pickup. Uh, we had Gerrit Van Cowen, and then I think the second year we had Mike Jordan actually, and it was run by a bloke called Rod Vickery, who's he was a a manager of many Formula One drivers and a big cheese in the in the world. I didn't know that at the time, so. Um, the rules that he taught us, I carried on in other 24 hours when I was like crew chief. Okay. So we'd have four hours on, four hours off with two crews. So it meant the worst thing you want is a tired mechanic panicking in an adrenaline fueled situation when your front wheel bearings collapsed. <laughs> so what we did, we had like, um, we had caravans in there. We couldn't afford motorhomes, but <laughs> so you'd have f- four wheel men, two fuelers. So you had a cruise of six. And you just rotated four hours on, four hours off. So four hours kit was enough to get you going. And mm. so it broke the whole day down. And that, that really seemed to work. Yeah. And then we employed that same um, technique when we did the brick car 24 hour. Mm. So it's finding the crew. So you have to split your crew of experience versus lesser experience. So you've always got two good blokes on. Because I was team manager, I, I was on the whole time because you're on the radio constantly. We had a strategist as well. The, one of the guys, um, one of my neighbours that lived when I lived in Chisel Green, was a maths professor, and he he wrote an algorithm on a on a on a on a laptop. So we worked out what the fuel rate was, which is sort of what people do now yeah, in F one, yeah. even in those days. And we're talking early two thousand. So he wrote an algorithm, so we knew when the thing was going to run out of fuel. You know, even with a factor for safety cars and all that. So we we really tried to do it professionally fantastic and you know a lot of those little things paid off it was really good it's the numbers there you're saying there's six of you like that is vastly different to today vastly in terms yeah. of your team you know yeah i mean now the like at, um le mans for instance there's only you're only allowed two plus a screen cleaner yeah. whereas in our day there'd be six of you on the car and you know we could do wheel changes in I don't know, five or six seconds, but there's five or six of you. Plus there'd be like on the entrance to the garage, you got the white line, the famous white line. So you'd have people feeding you 
tyres, so they weren't technically working on the car. The idea of limiting the numbers is obviously for health and safety. Mm, yeah. And as the years have gone by, that's all changed. But I can remember being in the in the pit lane with funnels, with with jerry cans <laughs> pouring in, with like the bloke over there smoking. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's how it was, you know. And so, yeah. you know, time moves on. We didn't have we, we you know, I've never experienced a fire in a pit lane because most people are experienced and they're sensible, you know, but. It was um, it was a lot of fun. It's certainly, well, it's more this? fun looking back on it than that. <laughs> at the time, a bit like climbing a mountain. You think, what the hell am I doing here? But yeah. afterwards, you think, yeah, I've done that. Sense of achievement. Yeah, yeah. And what period was this, Steve? And what cars were you running at at Le Mans? No, no, I just I just crewed on a GT3. So that would have been oh. the PK Sport one, the the yellow car, two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Okay. By uh, contrast to that, the two liter cup. I mean, again, like that's awesome to see these like early 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 short wheel based 911s yeah. rolling around like the concept's great you and i spoke last week about it and, and kind of said that it'd be great to have a race here in britain i know it's under the peter auto series so it can't quite yeah. happen but there are so many brits that take part in that yeah, yeah it'd be awesome well we got to close they had shorts. one at um goodwood yeah the john Audington. it was like the precursor to yeah that's right ways, yeah. yeah i mean that was two or three years before um um two litre cup but they um they sort of killed it a little bit because they were a bit too strict with the rules you know there was um yes you got to have rules but there were some cars that were built to a european spec for example like our car had a different exhaust and it was loud and um, they said we want this spec of car and they tried to make everything all the same so a lot of people dipped out of that i think there were only about 20 cars when they could have had 30 plus well, even that, that's a significant number. It's amazing yeah. how many of these short wheelbase 911s all of a sudden come out the woodwork yeah. to go yeah. racing that's as well. Right, yeah. You know, so. yeah, yeah. And that's, it's after that race it really took off. Mm. Um, and I have to say, they're fabulous cars to drive. You know, I've got friends who have driven mine who have had Lotus Elites or, um, you know, TVRs and stuff. And they get in the 911 and they go, that really is, not only is it a challenge dynamically, because every corner you turn in, it wants to kill you because <laughs> uh, it wants to slide. But if, you, if, you, if you're in control and don't let it bully you, the noise and the, the feel of it all is just is unbelievable. There's, mm. you know, in my opinion, there's no better car because the feedback in the steering, you get your gear change right, the brakes last for six hours, you don't get brake fade. You know, British cars and stuff, you know, they're all... Now they're engineering them. Like we used to beat MGBs at our eyes shut because they would have rear axle failures or gear levers would come off or whatever, or they'd have head gaskets. Now they're, they're so engineered because people are spending money on those types of cars that they are hard to beat. Like a TVR Grand Tourer with 180 horsepower MGB crossflow head weighing 600 kilos, if he can be reliable, it will win the class at, at Spa six hours. We've got a thousand kilos if you're running legal weight with 200 horsepower. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were doing well on reliability and the inherent build quality of the car as opposed to um, the fact it was just quick, you know. Yeah. It, you know, it would go on and on. It was metronomic. You could just keep going round and round and round, keeping the lap times consistent and everyone else is like pushing on, like thoughts on the hair, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so long as you stay out of trouble, that's the biggest problem. I mean, Spa in the modern age, in the Spa six hours, is um, 
there's so many GT40s, which most of them are replicas. You've got 10 or 12 GT40s. They're all on a mission to win the race. They're all potentially race winners. They come up against a little 911. And what they don't realise is the mid-corner speed on 911 is as good as nearly everything else on the grid. It's just the straight line speed is where it suffers. Yeah. So your mid-corner GT40 comes flying in. 911's probably got better brakes over six hours. And so you're with them, and then they want you out of the way, and you get tapped. Yeah. You know, we've been hit two or three times. Yeah. Managed to survive the race, though, but it's still annoying. <laughs> I can very well imagine. I can very well imagine. And you can't catch him up because he's faster to, to give him one back. <laughs> give him a tap. Yeah. Come here, you. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, mm. Any of the guys got any questions? Or also, any, anybody on the floor got any questions for, for Steve? What's your most memorable race then? I mean, obviously you've done a lot, but there must one. There must be one that stands out. So that day was what was me crewing or me driving? Driving. Um, I tell you what it was. It's the first time I ever drove a race car that wasn't a Porsche, and uh, myself and Rob Cole during lockdown because our cars were both in bits because we thought oh, I was lockdown. Now's the time to take the cars apart again with good old <laughs> uh, spanners check and. Then all of a sudden, motor racing started again. So we jointly went and bought an MGB, and we put FIA papers on it. And I went to the um, uh, it was three hour relay race at Donington, and there was like rumours in the paddock. Oh yeah, Steve, he's only near the front because he's got a Porsche. And I, th- I was listening to people say that, and it sort of got me down a little bit. And I thought, well, I'm going to see what I can do in this MGB, and without blowing smoke out of my backside I got in it and I was faster than I was in the 911 mm-hmm. and I beat all the MGBs apart from the one who's really quick that wins regularly and they all went bloody hell and that was a that was it was an achievement for me personally because yeah. you do you, you do think am I just doing well because I'm in a 911 but it's sort of it's completely different dynamic front engines four speed no brakes and I just got in it and I just really loved it and I still love it and I still race it, you know, as a, as a different medium, you know, you can't yeah. um, race the same thing, you know, all the time. But in the, certainly in the longer races, I prefer, prefer the 911 because you know it's going to finish. <laughs> Brilliant. And when you've, um, oh yeah, the, the, this is a funny story in the MGB because they're not exactly uh, designed to be watertight. So the last uh, race of last season, we're at Silverstone, it's October. And if you remember that torrential rain we had over a whole weekend, well, we were doing a series of sprint races in heat. So you qualified and you got put, put through these different threads, a bit like like the like World Cup wall chart. It, that's what we nicknamed it. So um, the rain was horrendous. And apparently because you got a hard top on an MGB and there's no rubber seal or anything, and you've got silly little quarter lights and everybody was putting tape on the lead on the top of the windscreen where the hard top screws down and i didn't know this because i'm an mgb virgin and um i've gone out in this rain and i've never been so wet in all my life i'm I'm just thinking this thing's just gonna either short circuit or something and in the end i just gave up i had a a lump of rag in my crutch and i'm like wiping and then i just threw it out the window because the rag was as wet as me and I've, the only time I've ever got out of a race car with wet underpants because it was that wet. <laughs> it was horrendous. And you just couldn't see a thing. You know, at the start, it wasn't even a rolling start. All I could see was like a red light, like, like this microphone in front of me. And you just, 
driving on instinct. <laughs> You're looking out the sides and this car's spinning off and I'm thinking if someone spills in front of me, that's it. But, you know, we got through it. We survived, no damage and did quite well. So, <laughs> but so that those are the moments that of many I could, I could talk all night about all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah that, that was quite an issue. about racing now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got first race in seven weeks. I think that's um, Branzach. Branzach, and it's another sprint format. It was so popular, you know, with the with the heats and the finals. What it did is that um, people that weren't usually at the front of the grid were at the front of the grid. So, say you qualified tenth out of twenty, the bottom ten went into a grid on their own with another 10 that were a bit slower. So my friend, uh, we built him a 2-litre 911, um, Ben Savile. He lives in Bermuda, and he came over especially. He's got, trying to get his tickets up. You know, you have to get signatures to upgrade your licence. And he came over and he just said, what the hell am I doing here? Because the rain was horrendous. So he's in a brand-new build, 200 grand, 2-litre 911, in this, you know, biblical weather. And I said, look, just go out and enjoy yourself. And he did. And his first ever race, proper race in that car, he's, he's, he's on pole position. And he was, he was literally <clears throat> shaking like a leaf. I said, look, I said, you're in the best place because you've got all the vision. You know, you can see <laughs> yeah, where you're going. Road, Everyone yeah. else is going to be following your spray. And he went out and he finished. He finished third or something and got a trophy. And, you know, and he oh, worked fantastic. his way through the grid and finished every race and got three signatures. So he's, um, I mean, that's commitment to fly all the way over from Bermuda for a day's racing at wet Silverstone. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, the car, and the, equally the car was good as well. So oh, spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there are many, many, many anecdotes that we could yeah. dive in. So yeah, yeah it, it'd be great to get you on for like a, a full episode if you'd be so kind yeah. to give us some airtime perhaps later in the series. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody. Well, um, Steve Winter from Jazz Porsche. Thank you very much. Thank you. Who's next? Yeah. So <laughs> before, uh, before the pizza and chips, we asked Steve what his uh, favourite or best decade of motoring was, what, what his vote was. I, I'd like to ask you chaps, Max and Andy, what, what yours would be. You've had a good break to think about it. 85 to 95, I think, because then I get uh, Group C and 993, and I'm pretty happy with that. Um, get some flat 12 Ferrari still in there as well, um, but it's particularly to get Group C and 993, because if I had that, I'd be, uh, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. That's peak. Right. Peak okay. for me. Or does that get me RS though? Or is that 96? I don't know. I'm well, kind, of, to go, kind of annoyed you've moved the goalpost from the 80s. Well, you to never go, said yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair. Well, you never said it had to be uh, <laughs> a, dec- so, a decade is a decade. Mm-hmm. So I might that? have to go 86 to, 86 to 96. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but that'd do me and my age as well. You know, I was 10 in 1986, so 10 to 20, that's quite, you know, they're good formative years for a young car enthusiast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that feels like a, feels like a golden age and some great cars. Excellent. So very race car led. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Brooks? And now that we're allowed to sort of do not just well, the 80s, not. I 90s. Thought, I thought Max's answer was the anomaly, but go on. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the, the 90s with just a little bit of the noughties so that I've got sort of 964s, 993s and a Carrera GT in there just sort of nips in. Right, so you pick 15 years. Yeah, family, yeah, so it's definitely the... Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> 15 year decade. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll here. go 95 to, to 2005 then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I was thinking cool. the Carrera GT was a bit earlier than that, but it's not, is it? Oh, it's, yeah, I agree, yeah, really, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so okay. that, yeah, that's... 
Right. So for that, for those cars, so that's still like very Porsche centric then. Yes. Yeah. Mm, okay. I would go for the eighties as in from 1980 to 1989. <laughs> such a stickler <laughs> for the rules. <laughs> I got I the last 10 months of the eighties. I, I wish I was uh, around to see a lot more of it, to be honest, but I just, I, I love just uh, for cars and motoring and sports cars. Generally the, it was ostentatious, the decadence, even with, and it's, that's particularly away from Porsche. The 911 itself, obviously, by that time was a 20 to 25-year-old car. But I think even Porsche um, were cool enough to say, oh, we'll put a flat nose on it. As well as an i 59 which on a, a recent video we discussed on 9Works TV, all of that technology that's still around and prevalent on 911s of today, 35 years on, it's kind of quite the legacy. So for me, that just kind of epitomizes a fantastic decade of motoring. Uh, that I wasn't around for so <laughs> um, but yeah we'd like to open that question up to, to everybody else here from RPOC so if anybody would like to you know put their own, the yeah, uh, their own five pence worth it'd be great to step up to the mic I, I thought Beaky was getting, getting up, up there Beaky come on I hate all this sort of stuff um, <laughs> so yeah I think the, the 80s uh, thinking about when I was a kid you know I grew up with all those cars on, on your wall the 911 the uh, um, I can't remember what it the um the the lamborghini the uh yeah and i think that's when i really got into cars and and that's what i wanted and i think you know that was that as you say that decade age of cars so everyone wanted one everyone wanted to drive one so um that's where i'm at excellent it was it's such a such a good decade is is there anybody else that i wants to add to that add to those sentiments i think let's let's all get involved don't be shy Although I do have a soft spot for the E-Type and the AC Cobra. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on it goes. On it goes. Well, in, in the car park when we arrived earlier on, there was a lot of modern machinery. Yeah. So and Andy and I had already kind of had this question in mind. We thought, well, okay, well, maybe we might hear some, some sentiment for like the more modern machinery. But we've kind of stuck really to that kind of 80s, 90s, noughties to the Carrera GT sort of line but um, yeah you've recently um, changed haven't you from what, a 993 to a a 991 GT3 James what's what brought that on I have uh, Andy yep I um, well first up it was a, it was a pretty big decision to sell the 993 because it was a good one and I also sort of in my mind at the time of it going thought this might well be the last air-cooled car that I own, Yeah, having had a few now. So that's quite a seminal moment, I think, when you when you take that plunge. Um, <clears throat> but I was quite determined to own a GT3, uh, and my initial thoughts, I talked to Rich quite a bit about it, actually, because he's had a few, um, and a couple of other owners. But my initial thought was I would go 996.2 GT3, either club sport or not, but that's what I wanted. And I'd started to identify a few around the, particularly this region that I wanted to have a look at. Um, but none were quite right. One popped up at, uh, Ashgood. Um, so I spoke to Mike there and he said, yeah, it's available. Talk to me about the car, said it's coming in. And I literally probably took about four or five hours to work through in my mind whether I wanted this car. Um, 
and this this is going to sound ridiculous, but I uh, I messaged him back later that evening and said, yeah, okay, Mike, I think I want it. And we, we'd sort of discussed a, a deal where he would, because I bought the 993 from him, yeah, uh, where he would take it back. And he said, uh, he said, no, you've, uh, you've just missed it. <clears throat> and I said, well, is there, you know, if that deal just fails or whatever, uh, please let me know. And, and I thought, actually, you know what? I really would like that car. So, so is there any way that that owner or the, the buyer wouldn't take it? And he said, let me ask him. And anyway, he sort of, uh, he screenshotted, uh, <laughs> to me, this conversation with the owner and, uh, it turns out, and I've still got the screenshot from Mike, that I missed the car by 16 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and the buyer was Ian Harris. It's the none. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. I actually, I have messaged Ian about this. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Mike and I carried on talking and he said, why don't you, uh, why don't you think about a 991.1? You know, they're really, you know, moving into stronger territory money wise but they also kind of represent pretty good value now um and it's a hell of a lot of car and i, I love the 991 as a platform anyway i mean i've had a few but they're, they're, they're just a solid car to start with so i spoke to a few people about it and thought yeah okay i'm starting to get interested and there a couple of things happened this was kind of late last year sort of november december time well november really um <clears throat> in that there were a few bits and pieces that appeared in, in quick succession. There was, you know, uh, I think, um, the collecting cars podcast where, um, Chris Harris was interviewing AP and they covered a fair bit on the car and yeah. specifically everyone wants to talk about the engine on that car. Um, and then, and then you guys did exactly the same, you know, in terms of you probed into it a bit deeper and specifically with, uh, Greg at RPM. And I thought, well, this is feeling like a sign, really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm hearing it from all, all, all ends here that, you know, this is, this is probably a good time to get into these cars. Um, so I started, uh, I started kind of watching, I suppose, what, eight, nine-year-old YouTube original road tests with the likes of Chris Harris and Evo of, of you know, running this car for the first time. And people just being absolutely blown away with it. I think once I'd got my mind around the whole engine warranty uh, and the fact that, you know, I was buying a car with a later engine anyway, I thought, yeah, I've, I've got to do this. I feel it's, it's got to, it's got to be something I own. So, you know, Andy said to me earlier, you know, you, you shouldn't have sold the 993. And in many ways I sort of feel <laughs> he's probably right. You know, it was, it was a good car. Um, but it was, it was that moment to kind of get into this, I think, and, you know, enjoy a, a GT3 car. Yeah fantastic value for money as we spoke about is, is the engine yours so is that a g-series engine it's an f-series okay. with three years left on the uh factory warranty yeah um so yeah i had a a good level of detail on the history of the car as well um so yeah i was, I was pretty comfortable buying it really excellent excellent yeah. hindsight's a wonderful thing when you're saying about you know it's hard to believe actually that the car's like eight eight years old nine mm. years old in some cases I remember it coming out new. It was like it was the first GT car I covered as, as editor of Total 911 magazine. And, and as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So much was made of electrically assisted steering, rear axle steering, and whatnot. Um, PDK only gearbox, of course. And when, when we kind of look with retrospect, that really was just kind of a storm in a teacup, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I've owned 997s and 991s. And, you know, for me, um, I, I do feel the sort of slightly more compact nature of a 997 has an appeal. But every time I've got from one to the other, I always much prefer the feeling of the the, the, the total product on a 991. It just, you know, there isn't anything about it that says, oh, this, you know, this part isn't good enough or mm. this element isn't as good as it could be. It feels like a real step on. I've never really picked up on that, you know, electronic steering issue myself. It's just, you know, there's so many other strong elements to the car that I've never seen that as a, as a detraction from the overall thing. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great system on, on the 991.1 GT3, improved yeah. over Carreras, and, and Porsche over time has kind of slowly perfected that steering. I actually think they really nailed it for the 992 generation, the, the Carrera range. Uh, obviously, it's, it's away from GT, but just like the feel of that wheel through the front axle I think it's absolutely sublime and they've really really nailed that for an electrically assisted steering to my mind it's almost as good as mechanically assisted steering from 997 in my opinion yeah I mean you know I've run a 992 Carrera S for a year there's a couple of guys in the room here as 992 owners um, and it's an incredible machine in every respect it's just it feels just so Everything feels so instant and you know on the button now. Uh, it's brutally quick as well, um, but I don't think it quite has that connected feel to the nine nine one. You know, it's just you know the power is just literally all or nothing. Um, and I, in fact, I said to I'm, I'm looking at Nick because we had the same car, and uh, I said to Nick, um, you know. Uh, it actually sort of scares me at times, just, you know, just putting the, the foot down um, in normal mode. I feel like it breaks traction. Does that happen to you? He said, I don't know. I've never, ever driven it in normal mode. <laughs> <laughs> and he was telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> but the point of me saying that is it's actually a better car in sport and sport plus and it is in normal. It's a bit kind of hard to handle in normal mode if you if you want to accelerate away quickly. But no, it's an amazing machine. Uh, it's, it's probably, you know, I suppose it's only natural, but it's, it's the best engineered 911 Porsche has made. It's, yeah. it's pretty incredible. So taking all that into account, which is your, your decade, and none of this half year, <laughs> 95 to this, you know, that Max and I have been doing, let's, let's hear the 80s, 90s. or Yeah, I think people this. who, uh, Max and I are the same age, but I think people who, know me will probably know I'll, I'll say 80s instantly you know I've had quite a few 80s cars uh, run quite a few 80s cars uh, even until very recently so yeah there's a lot of meaning in that decade for me if you know the posters on the walls the Testarossas the 959s 930 turbos yeah, and, and so on that's the stuff you grow up with that's the stuff that makes you want to own cars like these and, and, and drive them in reality you own you start out owning Mark one Ford Fiestas like I did, but, <laughs> but the dream's still there anyway. Yeah. But no, probably it's, it's got to be eighties for me. I think. Yeah, fantastic. I think what we should do is at, at the end of the night, maybe if we just pop the mics up on the bar, so maybe the if the gents just want to kind of maybe just put a couple of sentiments before we walk out because I'm really just keen to kind of see what the get a poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think that's, that's a good it. idea. Yeah, so hopefully, yeah, yeah where we're not kind of sitting in front of everyone, people will be a bit less shy. I don't know, but yeah, it'd be really nice to hear what what you guys. We think. Might get a broader spectrum as well. We're a bit <laughs> bit narrow at the moment. We get yeah. 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. Someone will throw something controversial in there, hopefully. So, 
yeah, it'd be nice to do that. But um, yeah, good. No, look, James, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, again, thank you for that. And um, yeah, sorry if we've uh, spent your money essentially <laughs> with the purchase. So. No, it was good. It was it was good uh, reassurance. I think even since then, uh, well, funnily enough, I had uh, a message on the way to work a few few days ago from Max saying, "Have you read it? Have you seen it?" Um, and of course, he was talking about the the, the total nine eleven article on um, on the engine itself. And I had I'd literally just read it. I think the night before on the way home on the train. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you're spending a lot of money, but you want those kind of reassurances that it is the problems have been dealt with on that engine um and hopefully they have but if not then that's what that extended warranty is in place for so yeah yeah my my aim is to enjoy it not to sit there kind of worrying about it really yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i think some of that recent work's been really helpful and really interesting you know the interview with greg and, and the copy that you did and the stuff on nine works as well because you know that's a car that i'm really really interested in if i could have stretched to it it's the car that i'd have now and it's still a car that I want, but I did, you know, when I was thinking about all this engine stuff coming to the end of the 10 year warranty, I thought, you know, if I am able to buy one, I'm going to be all in on it yeah. and I'm going to have to use it all the time. And will I have a niggling thing in the back of my mind? So I took some comfort from that work that you've done recently. And so I was keen to talk to you about it, James, to see what you thought about it. Cause it's definitely a car that I, you know, that I, I aspire to. I'd like it to be my next 911, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, those train journeys to and from work for me are a kind of time where I probably pester you the most. And we talk about all sorts of <laughs> 9 11 things. But, uh, but a lot of our time at the back end of last year was spent talking about GT3. So it was interesting. You're right. You know, it, was, uh, it just suddenly seemed to be a kind of buzz topic. Yeah. People people were diving into. With the, with the, the 992, when the 992 came out, there were a lot of... Um, uh, options available to spec on a 992 that had previously been the preserve of GT and things like that. Uh, when you've, because you've specced a 992 GTS now, I have, was there yeah. anything that you thought when you had your 992 S, thought, I wish I had that on it that you've now put on the GTS? Or has that not been a, that not been a thing? Um, not, not really. Uh, I mean, the GTS pack in itself is pretty comprehensive, mm. as, as you know. You know, it comes with a lot of nice additions to the to the Carreras that I think differentiate it as a GTS. Um, so no, I mean, I'm just trying to think back. I, I was quite keen to 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 probably put the Aero kit on it this time, but they've now deleted that, oh. so it's not an option. Um, I. I uh, you know this, but obviously it's <laughs> interesting to talk about it. The um, the one I've toyed with the most is the rear wheel steering. Yeah, um, and I did come very close to uh, to going going with it, but 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 I didn't in the end. Went for a you know, spent the money on a few other things, but no, I'm I'm pretty impressed with the way it comes out of the box. I've yeah. probably spent it on a few embellishments rather than <laughs> <laughs> than sort of performance upgrades, really. Yeah yeah fantastic okay well look, thanks for your sentiment james that's always highly appreciated thanks guys we'll um we'll dive in some q a's i don't know if anybody is is have or got any questions for us you're very well to shout questions or abuse or absolutely anything in between <laughs> controversial controversial question if we didn't own porsches what other car supercar would you have God. do you know I'll, I'll jump in if that's okay i'm so like blindsided to everything else and again like with a, a total 911 magazine <clears throat> excuse me I, I, I just did 911s mm. it's all i've known for, for for 10 years is 911s and having to kind of um 
obsess about them on quite a granular level just in order to kind of uh, do the job a little bit of justice and nine works has opened things up to to kind of porsche sports cars generally which has been so refreshing personally speaking first and foremost but also in meeting like other people as well and, and seeing like what their like what porsche means to them which has been fantastic so like quite boring really but like other cars i haven't kind of kept an eye on other manufacturers certainly in modern times to really dive into them and, and whatnot and also i just think like porsche is 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 it's the cars but it's also like the people as well and, and I, I i think you may struggle to replicate that and and again like the camaraderie as evidence in this group tonight maybe within other manufacturers from what i've seen from a distance so it's it's i'm dodging the question i'm afraid yeah i tell you what i'd like beaky i'd like a 355 ferrari manual early one with a pre-airbag steering wheel uh, I'd like a B7 RS4 Avant, um, and I would like a, what I call the Bobby Ewing SL. I think it's the R107. What about you, Andy? Um, I've always, yeah, sort of lusted after BMWs and Audis, so I've always been German. Um, but yeah, Porsche's always been at the top. If Porsche didn't exist, I guess it would be one of those. Uh, probably be a, the, the R8. Probably. Really? Yeah. 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 I do so think that's quite cool. a quite a, a a good design yeah yeah um i've been in, been in one many years ago it was a, a v8 and the the suspension on that car just astounded me i was going along a road um and sort of yeovil way and it was a, a undulating a road and the way that it took the the bumps and the and the corners was was quite outstanding so yeah I pro- yeah audi r8 if porsche didn't exist yeah 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 great question great question You've obviously driven a lot of uh, Porsches over your time. Um, if you could pick a, a car that Porsche hasn't made, maybe a niche that it didn't fill, what would be your choice? Oh, that is a what, what was the missed question. opportunity? That is an absolutely great question. So one of my favourite 911s is the 3.2 Club Sport. I think because, you know, and, and they are, I think Steve, you and I talked about this last week, actually. And because it doesn't have like the, the Ren Sport badge, like they are still, you know, great money, but they fly a little bit under the radar for me. And there's lots of like nuances to that car. And, and I just think that Porsche in the modern time, and the Carrera T is getting close to it, but should do just a very basic, lightweight, paired back car. Possibly similar, actually, so in the same sort of vein is the 964 RS America. It was a car that had, I think, four options, six options. It was cheaper to buy than a 964 Carrera. And again, it's just like that paired back, simple sports car. The Carrera T is definitely getting there. The 991 Carrera T, obviously. The the 992, I'm sure we can expect to see that by the end of the year with a manual gearbox. And that's kind of really getting there. And to, to answer the question fully, I think where Porsche actually kind of maybe missed the board a little bit for, for a darts analogy as we're in a pub um was with the 991 speedster so i think you know a gt engine and whatnot in that open top car i think it was the wrong engine for the car and i just think it should have been a nice you know small engine basic spec equipment like the original speedster short ratio gearbox you know the fastest we can drive in this country is 70 mile an hour on the public road do we need 500 horsepower and a 9000 RPM red line, it sounds great, but you know, second gear and you're out sort of thing. 
Sorry, James. <laughs> but, you know, so, so for me, I just think that where Porsche could really do with, and especially where we're kind of, where we're going with cars and cars that you have to drive in the future, a bit like, it will be a bit like owning a horse. You know, it's a hobby. It's not a mode of transport to get to work or, or whatever. And I think something that's kind of really intuitive with road driving and road speed, so as I say, paired back, low power engine, short ratio gearbox and maximum engagement. I think that should be the future of, of all sports cars, really, Porsche or not. I think there was that period where Porsche were looking to platform share with VW on a like basic two-seater ragtop mm. and it never happened. I forget the period. It was probably 2005 or six or something. And that to me would be, it's like the 914 reimagined exactly that, yeah. that, that yeah. kind of lightweight modest power but you know excellent dynamics it's mm. almost for me like the closest thing i i've owned a couple of lotus cars and i've driven a fair few lotus friends you know back to back with the porsches and i think the the one car that's got closest to at the time i had a gt4 on it from a dynamics perspective was an evora okay yeah but it doesn't it doesn't quite have the you know the the driving dynamics it's got elements that's perfect but it didn't quite didn't quite match but something with that kind of lightweight Mm. would with a porsche engineering philosophy uh, you know adapted to it i'll tell you what really excites me in that field is the mission r you know electric but the weight that that is and the size of it um that actually excites me from that point of view you know that sort of that kind of package um, and that, well, yeah, absolutely interesting that that could be the future of um, the racing, some racing series somewhere. I think that looks really fantastic. And hopefully something will come of that road wise that would be a, you know, something amazing that we can all drive still that would be allowed to drive in so many years time. Yeah, I, I think I think they should do it. You know, I know it um, doesn't matter what Porsche sports car it is, whether it's Boxster Cayman, 911, etc. Yes, they, you know, why we like them so much is they're quite good at doing lots of things. There's a real kind of duality to them. But, you know, let's not forget in the past when Porsche made cars like Speedsters, you know, you had to sign a waiver as a customer that, you know, the roof didn't hold water and stuff. So it wasn't quite like, the, you know, this practical day-to-day car that we all know these cars to be. So, and, and they've, they've sold some, you know, pretty niche and unique cars in quite big numbers uh, in recent times. So I think if they were to do something like really, really ballsy in, in that regard, as we've been saying, I, I definitely think people would, would buy it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a great question. That it's a great question. And while I've got the mic, just I'm going to put a shout out there for uh, for the 2000s because I grew up reading Evo magazine in the Harry Metcalf days, which was phenomenal. And and actually, I'll go even more specific in that in that decade because the first half of that decade we had the Lamborghini Murcielago, we had the 360 Challenge Stradale, we had the Gen 2 996 GT3, which I've been lucky enough to own and is a fantastic car, and we had the M3 CSL. And I think for me, that period was the epitome of very modern, uh, you know, engineering applied with with probably less rules than the manufacturers Mm. are are faced with today. And Mm. I think there were just some, there were just some phenomenal cars in that period. Mechanical engineering as well, you know, before things went like truly digital. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. What was your name? I love that you could have had a Uh, decade and you've gone for five years. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) That that is a phenomenal question. Thank you for coming up and and doing that and telling us your favourite decade and year as well. Spot on. Anybody else? I've got a question. Amongst everybody's, how 
much does brand image control your car purchase? How much of an effect does brand image? Do you buy a Porsche because it's a, I've always wanted a Porsche? Or do you buy them because they are engineered and beautifully built and all the rest of it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, I, I recently bought an 09 Cayenne. And I do wish I'd have bought the VW equivalent now because everything will still break, but it's a third of the price. So, yeah, I kind of have learned my lesson in retrospect, I think, really. Um, in terms of sports car, just for me, I don't, don't know what you guys think, but uh, I don't know. Again, uh, where I, I came into Porsche through my job, being like kind of totally honest. Um, but the, the kind of the experiences I've had uh, with people is obviously that all gravitates towards the car. So for me, you know, if to, to, to dabble into something else, it'd be quite hard for my job. But, but also I feel like I'd be out of the loop with like some really like great people. And don't get me wrong, there may be others in, in these kind of other cliques. But I just think Porsche gives a lot in terms of like that community feel and spirit. And that's not just in this country. That is that's truly all over the world, you know. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's not a, a badge for me. It's, you know, it's, it's people as much as the cars. I don't know what you guys think. I think I, well, I came to the brand through my father, you know, so he was responsible for me being a car enthusiast. That's why I'm into Bugattis as well as Porsches. It all came from, from him. Um, and he probably instilled some interests and values in me. So I'm quite interested in German cars generally, more so than Italian or British cars, certainly more so than British cars. So there was a, um, and I was born in 76, you were saying, so, you know, there was, there was a great era to be a Porsche. You know, I had the Athena posters. I had the Lamborghini Athena picture and the Berlinetta Boxster. I went through a Cobra period. I even wanted a 32 high boy with scallops on it. You know, so I have had periods where I, you know, I've been interested in other things and thought I might like them. But whenever it's come to actually spending my own money, I've always wanted, I've always bought German cars other than one French car, which is a mistake. Um, I've always bought German cars and I've always wanted a Porsche so much so that when it actually came to it I was a bit worried that I might not like it you know because it is such an idiosyncratic thing I, th I was a bit worried I thought well, what if I don't like it what am I going to do then I have to buy an R8 um, and then having bought the car um, a friend of mine was buying lots of cars and trying different things and I felt a bit envious of, of, of him trying different cars and you know, Maseratis and Bentleys and all sorts of interesting stuff I thought I'm kind of now I'm kind of stuck now. I've bought, I've bought my 911 and I do really like it. And now I don't want anything else. Um, I always want to have a 911 and then if I can afford it, maybe I'll try something else. But I didn't, I bought my can. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but it, it definitely started with some things I, you know, I got from my dad before I then got into the, you know, I, I felt I didn't ever fall in love with the club, actually. I'd never got into the Porsche Club GB thing for, for a long time, you know. I found that a very... Not a very difficult crowd, just not my crowd. Um, you know, it's been social media and Instagram which has changed this aspect of, of, of Porsche. So intensified your indoctrination of the brand. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's an in, a thing that was instilled in me certainly. Andy, well, mine started. My my dad was always had shit old Austin A forties and thirteen hundreds and stuff like that, and I remember, you know, as a well from sort of 10 onwards working with him working on cars and um then i bought a beetle when i was 16 and i took it fully took it apart to do a cow look it was going to be a cow look and 
the way that it was engineered and put together was like, this is all right now. This is so much better than the, the shit cars that my dad was driving. Um, and then I just wanted the best beat like it <laughs> effectively um and always wanted it for the shape i don't know if it's the brand um but then once you've actually got one it, it it is the people as you as you said i mean we're sat in this room here talking about this um type of car um is there many other brands that you would have this sort of um group of people gathered together to to do such so yeah I've, I've bought into the brand in the end i think um but not as a because i want a porsche it's because the people that are around porsches are, are good eggs yeah i came into it the other way around i'll tell you the story yeah hi everyone i'm graham yeah i hi, came graham. into this a, a completely other way around because i was i was always a car nut dad was a car nut um, I was always bad on cars, live, breathe, eat, slept cars. First one I ever spoke was car. Before you <laughs> so it was bad, you know. And um, I'd never driven a 911. I had a friend of mine, very good friend, who's Steve knows, Russell. Uh, he'd had a 911 for about 10 years, never driven it, not interested in it. And he bought an 8932 Carrera back in probably 1991. Back then, they for me, they were just a yuppie car. They had the yuppie car image, yeah. Not interested. I was round his house one night, and uh, he said, Look, why don't you take it for a spin? And I said, Russ, I'm not interested. I'm not into 911s. Don't do it for me. He said, just go and drive the car. So I said, oh, all right. And he said, no, go on your own. Just disappear. Go off. So I drove this thing, first 911 I'd ever driven, and it blew me away. The The delicacy of the steering the visceral experience, everything about it. I just fell in love with it. I'd never driven anything in my life that drove like that. And I was gone, I think, for about 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. His missus at the time, Sharon, who I think Steve remembers, kept telling Russ to call the police. <laughs> I'd go and sort of stacked it and get the car off and call the police. And that was it. That's what sold me on the whole 911 thing. It was the first time I ever drove that car. Yeah. And that's never left me. And I've had a 911 in my life. That's fantastic. Ever since. It'd fantastic. What were you driving before you drove yeah. the Yeah. <laughs> oh, crikey. At, at that time, I had a, um, it was an 89 XJS V12 with the sport suspension on it. And it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, was a, it was a beautiful looking car. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely stunning looking car. But it just didn't handle. Yeah. Now, I know it was on Dunlop tires, which is what they had back then. But it was just a lethal car, especially in the wet. I remember coming down, this was obviously a good few years ago, coming down the A1, heading down to uh, Millwear Roundabout, which, love you know, I was doing probably doing 90 mile an hourish. And it, it was... Your Honour. Yeah, your Honour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 90 kilometres an hour. Sorry, 90 yeah, kilometres. <laughs> the backtrack. And, um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And... Um, it was, it'd been raining and this fox ran across the road in front of me and hit the brakes, missed the fox, but it went into a slide and it must have taken at least half a mile for this bloody thing <laughs> to get itself straightened out again. I thought, no, this just, no, 911 different world. That's yeah, right. fantastic. What was the engine like though? I've always wanted something with a V12. V12. Was it nice? Oh, I was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it was good, but it was, it, it felt, 
it almost felt like it had um, a lot of bottom end talk, a lot of bottom end grunt, but it seemed to run out of steam yeah. early. Yeah, it was almost like you think, oh, this feels quick and I'm only using half a throttle. What's it going to be like when I eventually nail it? And when you do nail it, you go, okay, it's not really giving you the rest of, yeah, there's something missing, you know? Yeah. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> a very long time ago. I'd have loved it if after your 45 minute drive of giving it pure beans, you come back, hand the keys to your friend and go, well, it's not for me. It's not <laughs> for me. <laughs> I, went out, I literally went out within probably about four or five weeks, went out and, and bought a, an 88 32 Carrera. Spot on. Um, and that was it. And then by 93. And then this guy, Russ, he owes me a fortune, really. <laughs> in, in 93. It was 93, he got invited um, to Brands Hatch to take pictures for, in fact, who Steve worked, might pick up yeah. at the, uh, what was back then, what was it, the Pirelli Porsche Production Championship, Championship yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And Russ was a photographer, so he got invited free tickets to go there and take pictures of the race cars for Mike. And he said, you want to come along? He said, I've got free tickets, so I went with him. And I watched these guys racing, and I thought, well, I've got to do this. So I ended up selling my road car and buying a 911 race car. Oh, amazing. I started racing the things. So, yeah, he owes me a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly owes you a fortune. <laughs> Brilliant. And I have to say, he got in it and was really quick, like straight out the box. He never raced before in his life. Yeah. Yeah, I did all right, didn't I? Yeah. Still do okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Absolute quality. Thank you for Thank that. Thank you. That's absolutely ideal. So that's what I mean. The badge doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. Anybody else at all? Quick question for you, Lee. Hey, friend. Um, within the Porsche world, mm -hmm. who's the most inspiring person you've interviewed or met? Oh, that's a great question. It's a great question. Um, I quite liked how humble Tony Hatter was as a guy that, you know, and a, and a Brit as well, you know, that designed the last ever air called 911. And, you know, it's like if you walk past him in the street, you wouldn't know who he was. He doesn't kind of, you know, shout about what he's done. And actually, when I interviewed him, shameless plug, it's on, on Nineworks TV on YouTube. It's a brilliant chat of about half an hour. And uh, I was yeah, reeling off all his achievements at the start, 993, GT1, etc. And, and he was pretty embarrassed, actually, by the end of my intro. And again, just shows how humble the guy is. You know, and, and he, he's, he's retired now. He's retired from Porsche, and but still does a lot for the, the company. And there's a lot of the older guys that still do a lot for the company um, who actually kind of, they're not paid really like other ambassadors are to go to these events. They do it because they they love it, you know. Um, so, yeah, he, he's he's a good guy. Grant Larson as well, um, an American that's always been at Porsche like 30-odd years fantastic guy the, the stuff he's done he's head of special projects now designed the 935 the boxster berg spider the the original boxster 986 the 997 it's you know carrera gt program um but again it's just like his um fascination and obsession for the brand is, is unbelievable and, and again he in september i went to the museum we were there for a couple of days for sound night and he was happy to uh, jump out of bed on a saturday morning and come meet me for, for coffee and have a chat didn't have to do it so it's kind of i think the old school they're they're, they're the guys i think that are fantastic and it's really important they tell their story and it's why we try and give them a platform whether it's on a podcast or a youtube video or whatever to to tell that story because um you know, unfortunately, we're not here forever. And uh, when we go, our stories go. And, and those guys played such a big, big role in the development of that company. 
it's just great to hear their hear their stories, you know. So yeah, uh, the older guys, I'd say. Got a question? Go for it. You got your last can of petrol. What car are you going to pour it in? One can of petrol. Yeah. Last car you're going to drive. Ooh. I'll, I'll go. It's got to be Porsche. Yeah, Porsche. Yeah, be Porsche. I was, I was, I'm conscious I've gone first on a lot of questions, but if you guys are an R in it, I know I fanboyed about the 959 so much in recent months, but for me, I just can't get enough of it. I think it still looks like a spaceship. You know, I won't kind of repeat what I've said on previous podcasts and stuff, but I think if that's the last drop of petrol uh, on Earth, I still think that would be miles very well spent at the wheel of that thing. Absolutely. It's a tricky one, I think. Um, the cars that all come to mind are cars that I haven't driven. And I sort of think if it's the last can, it ought to be something that I know is going to be really good. So that's something I've already driven, but I haven't really driven anything that interesting. So I come back around the other way and think it's, um, you know, when I, when I did the, um, the, the podcast for the first time and I had to say what my favorite was, and it's, I always default to, to 903RS, um, which isn't as glamorous as some other things, but, uh, it's been my favorite 911 for a long time and I'm sure it wouldn't disappoint. I've driven a, uh, 911 Carrera, like, the one you had, James, and I and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So club sport, I assume. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Last drop of petrol. Might, might as well. well. Yeah. Might as well. I know someone who's got one actually. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> I might just get it lined up just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The world's going ring. Can I borrow your car? <laughs> yeah. Go on then, Andy. The last I se- word. I seem to have a bit of a love affair with the Carrera GT at the moment because we've been talking about it late. But I'm thinking that's going to use the petrol up fire fairly quickly. I'd write. Oh, I want to eke out a bit more i think <laughs> um so it'd probably be a carrera cs yeah really yeah. yeah i just think that car has got yeah so the, the light lightness and delicacy of it i think i would really enjoy that car what about some of the rest of you, you know some people have owned owned or own a lot of porsches here they're based on you know the sort of experience that i haven't got about you steve what do you think? we count racing cars as well. oh, yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, it would be a lap of Le Mans in a 917. Ah, yeah. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Keep going until it stopped and then I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question, if you don't mind, before we move on. It's a non 911 question, actually. Uh, if you had to pick uh, a sports car from the Porsche range, um, from the 986 all the way to the modern range of non 911 sports cars, which one would it be? If you were to pick from, from a mass production range, so something that's affordable in mass production, so not a, not a rare item. Yeah, okay. I was going to come out with the Crow GT then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got a default button. Yeah, Crow GT. <laughs> it's funny you should say that, actually. I was um, thinking recently, because I had a, um, when I bought my McCann last summer from Porsche Centre Leeds, they took it back so they could repaint the front and they gave me a Boxster, a 718 box dress, which I had for a week. Um, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, and ever since then, I've been quite fancying a Boxster. Um, and I've always really wanted a 981 Spider. I think that's just a really great looking car. I really like them. Um, that's a bit out of my reach. So when my car was at Right Tune recently, they had it for a week. And I was thinking, oh, you know, what's it like being without a 911? Is, is that, is that something that's okay? Could I live with that? I thought maybe, maybe I should get a 981 Boxster GTS instead. Um, and one came up on the Nine Works Classifieds that might be going in as a trade-in at Joseph MacTech. And it's really, really nice. And I got as far as emailing them. And then I picked up the 911 and I slightly bottled it. 
Um, but I'm in a similar position. I really, I, I think I will have a 981 Boxster of some description at some point. If I could afford to chip, you know, trade in the BMW that I'm in tonight and put some money in, I'd, I'd probably get one now, to be honest. But I can't, so I'm going to have to have a go in James's instead. <laughs> Andy? Uh, Cayman R. That's, that really interests me. Uh, there was one at Bournemouth when we... Had our yeah, PDK event. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a lovely car. That was a, a lovely car. Great looking little package. Definitely. Um, yeah. To, to be honest, you guys have, have, have ticked both boxes for me. I was going to say nine eight one Spider or Cayman R nine eight seven. Of course, I, I think the the nine eight seven I is scandalously underrated. Like, what? Why? Why are we not talking about that car more? Um, in, in my eyes, fantastic. And again, for me, the Boxster Spider kind of goes back to the earlier question where we're talking about that kind of uh, paired back lightweight car now i would rather have a boxster spider like money no object i'd rather have a boxster spider over a 991 speedster um i like the smaller profile i just like how much more dainty the car is i think it suits it you know uk roads i think it's a fantastic car so away away from 911 lineup i think yeah very happy with either of those if you're offering Everyone's going to go over and like auto trading. I don't think they're any on nine works classified at the moment. We should hammer the dealers and say there's going to be very big demand tomorrow. Yeah. Cracking. I think we'll wrap that up, shall we? I would say ladies and gentlemen, but <laughs> you know, gentlemen, yeah, thanks very much for your time. It genuinely, you know, Andy, I and Max, we'll really appreciate you guys coming out midweek. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks to the organisers. Really, really yep. kind of you to invite Thanks, guys. Thanks to Steve at Jazz for the food as well. Really appreciate it. Hopefully see you guys again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at www.patreon.com backslash nineworksradio. You went for your decade, didn't you? Did you give us your decade? No, I didn't. 80s. Definitely 80s. 80s. And what was on the wall? Decade? 90s. Decade? Eighties. Decade? 80s, when I passed my driving test. Mine's the here and now. 80s. Yeah, mine's definitely the 1990s. I've already done mine. 80s. Uh, 90s, I guess. 80s for me. 2000s. Uh, 90s for me. 80s. 76 to 86. Mine was the hero now. But there was several 90s. I can't do a decade. I, 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 mine spans probably five decades of odd cars I would have from each decade. From like a four and a half litre blow Bentley <laughs> to like a 300 SL Roadster in the 50s. It's, can't do it. Can't do it. 70s, I think, probably. Yeah, I think, so. I think I think for my decade, I'll be honest with you, I think it's got to be the 2000s for me because, I mean, growing up, I was always into my cars, motorbikes. Um, I think the opportunity to really progress into what I wanted was in the 2000s. The modern era, technology was so good, engineering was better. I think, I think that 2000s for me, I think is that's the one. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
probably the 2000 2005 we were just talking about it i had all those posters up of those yeah i missed, I missed the uh the v10 the box though that's, that's on the list as well for that period yeah that was 2004 wasn't it 2005 yeah, yeah, yeah. the old uh, carrera gt it's good isn't it that was a good period